0: Drop down a Bible if you can and get with me to Genesis chapter 15, doing a series looking at the life of Abraham and what it looks like to walk by faith in uncertain times. So uh, do me a favor, and if you've got a Bible on your device or a Bible available at home, please get that out and get with me there. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 15. Uh, We'll pray, and then we will get to work. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age and the fourth generation your descendants will come back here for the sin of the amorites has not yet reached its full measure when the sun had set and darkness had fallen a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces on that day the lord made a covenant with abram and said to your descendants i give this land from the wadi of egypt to the great river the euphrates the land of the kenites kenizzites cadmonites hittites Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Let's pray. Lord, we pray, having opened your word together, we're asking that you would speak to each and every one of us by your Spirit. And we're praying, God, that you would help us to hear your voice and your promise, and that each of us would have faith in that promise. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. We ask for your help here. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased and honored with with what we find here in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, as we look at this incredible story, which is bizarre in many ways, uh, let's look at it under three different headings. We've got the way of faith, the promise of God, and the firm future. The way of faith, Abraham, uh, which is what his name eventually will become, uh, he he is, a, if you'd like, an example of a person of faith. He is, in one sense, a prototype. He's the man of God that God set his affections on and called and elected and promised certain things to. And so if you, if you read the Bible, he, he actually gets a lot of airtime. He gets a lot of uh, ink spilt over... Uh, His experience with God and specifically this Genesis 15 event. It gets brought up over and over and over again. In Romans chapter 4, there's a whole chapter uh, devoted to it. Galatians chapter 3 gives us a lot of information about it. But both of those chapters and other places as well, they tell us that what happened to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 was actually for us. I'm gonna show you uh, one of these examples here from Romans chapter four. Romans four starts like this. It says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Talking about the matter of faith. What did he learn there? And then 25 verses where it's expanded on. This is what happened with Abram and this is what it means for us. And so toward the end of that chapter, it concludes like this the words, it was credited to him, were were written. So that's the line directly from Genesis 15. And it says, those words, it was credited to him, they were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So this event is for you and I. The event of Abram placing his faith in the promise of God is for us. It is an example worthy of our imitation. It is the way of faith. And so that's what we're looking at here. We're looking at this way of faith. And what we find is that it's a mixed bag of experiences. Faith is not simply belief in God without any hesitations. It's not simply belief in God and you have no concerns or no problems with it, belief can actually show up in the presence of fear. Look at verse 15. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. God is saying something to Abram, and he's saying, do not be afraid. I mean, you don't say to someone, don't worry about it, unless they're worried. And you don't say to someone, do not be afraid, unless, of course, they actually are afraid. And so Abram here obviously has a fear, and we're not told exactly what it is, but we can, we can take a few guesses at it. He's, he's fearful of something. What, what is that? And it's been suggested that maybe he's fearful of his vulnerability, that there are other nations around and other militaries around, and maybe he's looking at his situation and thinking, I'm very vulnerable here. Maybe he's fearful of the fact that he has an uncertain future, that God has called him to leave his country and his people and to go to a location that God later discloses, and now he's here, but he's not really sure how it's going to play out. Maybe he's fearful over the fact that much of the elements of the promise haven't come true yet, that he's supposed to be a great nation, but he doesn't even have a child yet, let alone a people, and he doesn't have a place, uh, and so there's all kinds of concerns here, and God is saying to him, do not be afraid, Abram. Do not be afraid. And I think that the fear involves all of that. It's really just kind of looking at the promises of God and then the present circumstances and going, I don't understand how these line up. I don't understand how God can be so good and so powerful and so committed to me and to my good, but then I look at my life and I see that it hasn't come true the way I expected. And God speaks over that and he says, do not be afraid. John Salehammer, he puts it like this. The central issue of the chapter is this, God's delay in fulfilling his promises. Abram's going through a moment where he's aware of what God intends to do, but he's looking at the timeline and he's going, when is this going to happen? I mean, is there a kink in the hose of God's blessing? I don't understand why he has repeatedly told me that I'm going to be the vehicle of blessing to the nations, but then I look at my circumstances and I just don't get it. And I think many of us can relate to that. But God then speaks a word of comfort. He says, I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. Those promises are true and they will come true. But in the meantime, here's what you need to know. I, God, am your shield. I will protect you. I, God, am your, your reward. I'm the promise giver, and you can trust in me, but I myself am the reward. Well, this way of faith then provokes this concern and complaint. Look at verses 2 and 3. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So he's looking at God now, and he's concerned. He's saying, okay, in our culture, in the ancient Near East, if, if, if an individual does not have a, a male child, then it's appropriate that the inheritance would go to the servant. And he's saying, look, you, you've made these incredible promises. I don't doubt that, but I look at my life, and, and now I'm realizing that Eleazar is the one who's going to inherit my estate you said I was going to be a great nation, but I'm living in a tent. You said I was going to be a great nation, but I don't have any descendants. I don't have people, and I don't have... A, you, can't be, you can't be a nation without these things. And so, God, I just don't understand what is going on. And in a sense, he's complaining to God. And, and like Bruce Waltke points out, com, complaint and faith, they, they're not opposed to each other. Waltke puts it like this, complaint and faith are not antithetical. Complaint Is based on taking God seriously. Abram complains out of his faith, not his unbelief. It takes spiritual energy to complain in contrast to despairing in silence. See, here's what what we're recognizing. The way of faith involves us being honest with God. God is not offended by that. He's not put off by that. He he, he looks at us and he actually invites us to be real about how we feel about the circumstances. I mean, if you read the Psalm book, it's full of complaints. People saying to God, God, what is going on here? I don't get it. You you have said all these different things about your people and about the experience of life on this earth, but then I look at it and I go, I, I just don't understand. And God is inviting us in a moment like this to be honest with him, to express our concerns, to turn our complaints into prayer. God can handle the full range of human emotions. Um, Jane Browning, I'm not sure if she's here this morning, but she's somebody who talks about this quite often. It's It's a form of prayer that I think is very important. It's us being real with God. God doesn't want us to just pretend he doesn't want us to have faith in the sense that we just kind of set aside the way that we really feel, and we just kind of have this wishful thinking and this kind of, I'm gonna pretend that's not really what I'm what's going on inside of me. I'm gonna pretend that I'm confident. I'm, I'm going to pretend that I believe everything's gonna come true. I'm gonna speak these things into existence. I'm gonna have faith. God actually wants us to be faithful in the sense that we can say to him, I believe these things to be true about you. You're good powerful you're going to do the things that you say you're going to do but at the same time i don't understand and i don't get why it is so slow in coming which is what's going on here abram's looking at his circumstances and he's saying i don't understand why the promise hasn't come true yet so god is inviting us to talk to him like that and then god replies look at verses four and five Then the word of the Lord came to Abram, this man Eleazar will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God speaks to him and he says, okay, look at the stars. And I don't know if you guys were outside last night, but the stars were bright and numerous and God takes Abram out and he says, look at this, your descendants, your descendants from your own flesh and blood, you're going to have a son, not this Eleazar, not this other individual, but somebody's coming from your own flesh and blood and your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now we have the promise of God in clear view. And now we understand that that Abram is placing his faith in that promise. There was a delay in the story. So Abram gets to hear the voice of God over and over again in Genesis chapter 12, 13, 14. Well, here we are in chapter 15. Now God makes a declaration of the faith of Abram. And that's important. Walt Kaiser points that out. There's a reason why there was a a delay in the assessment, but the punchline comes in verse six. Look at it. It says, Abram believed the Lord And it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abram now believes, and now God says, this is your righteousness. I declare you to be righteous. Now, that's transactional. It's describing that God is saying something about Abram. He's reckoning is one way that it's translated or credited or accounting. But God is looking at Abram and he's saying, you are righteous, he's looking at the faith of Abram and he's saying, you are righteous. And now we're in the realm of saving faith. What is saving faith? What does it mean to be a believer? And there's a a world of difference here. There's a huge difference between belief of and belief in. Belief of is simply, there's a God. I believe in God. I believe of God. Uh, I believe that there's a God. In fact, the Bible will later say, even demons believe and shudder. There's a way to know that there's, you know, there's God, and you can say, look, I I fully believe that. But there's a difference between belief of and belief in. Belief in is not only is there a God, but that God has provided a way of salvation. And I believe in that. I believe upon that. I trust in that. I entrust myself to that. That's what we're talking about here. Abram believes, and not just in general, not just that there is a God, but now Abram believes the promise of God. There is a child coming, there is a son coming, and there is a a people that God is going to bring a salvation through. And that people are they're gonna culminate in the arrival of the promised one, the Messiah. And all of that's kind of building out as the Bible storyline moves forward. And Abram now believes that promise. He believes in that son coming. Now, when you believe that, you are now on the way of faith. You're in that realm of saving faith. So Galatians 3, Paul, the apostle Paul, he describes this in Galatians chapter 3, and he he puts it like this. We'll put it up on the screens too. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul's kind of putting these things together and he's going, look, Abraham had the good news explained to him in advance. He had it announced to him. He didn't know all the details. He didn't know that it was ultimately going to be Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't understand all the, you know, all the just ins and outs of what the promise would ultimately become. But he knew enough of it that it was announced to him in advance. And when he believed, that's what he was believing in. He was believing in Jesus Christ. So the way of faith is the settled confidence in the promise of God. Specifically, it's belief in Jesus Christ, the promised seed of Eve that God announced earlier on, the son of Abram, the one to whom all the scriptures testify. That's what saving faith is. It is belief in the promise of God and specifically in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the faith that I hope you share with me. I hope that you have that saving faith. I hope that you've entrusted yourself to the Son for salvation. But that is the way of faith. It is believing in the promise of God. So the second thing we see here is that promise. What does it entail? What is it like and there's a few features about it. We've, we've already noticed that it involves a son. In verses four and five, there's a, the, the sun is talked about there. There's also land. Look at verse seven. Uh, God also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So, so God is saying, you will be a nation. You're going to have a child. And there's going to be a place that you will reside. So if somebody were to come up today and say, hey, I'm starting a new nation, you'd go, okay, that's strange. You and what army? And where are you going to be? What's your geography? And Abraham is this nation, but you look at him and you go, you and who else? And where are you going to be? And you live in a tent. And so Abram does have some further concerns. Look at verse 8. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of the land? I don't have anything that kind of points in the direction that I'm going to be this great nation. I'm a nobody in a tent. And this gets us into that area of faith where we begin to recognize most of us can affirm the goodness of God and the trustworthiness of the promises, but most of us have hesitations about us receiving them. We we look at God and we know his ability, but we often doubt that it's going to come true for us. And then God does this strange and wonderful thing. And this is bizarre and it trips many of us up, but we, we see here that God cuts a covenant with Abram. So Abram's concerned, I don't really understand what's going on here, I don't understand the timeline here, I I, I don't understand how or when this is going to come true, and then God cuts a covenant. He tells them to get some animals, and Abram cuts those animals in half, which you and I we hear that, and we go, what? Did we miss something here? Did they forget to tell us something here? What's going on? But in that culture, covenants like this were common. And so Abram knew exactly what to do. They would cut animals in half, and then, you know, you're making a contract, and you walk between the animals. And the idea is that if you fail the covenant, if you break your portion of the obligations that you would be like the animals. That's what Jeremiah says in the Bible, that if you fail to uphold your end of the bargain, may you become like one of these animals. Now, this is a weird way of doing a contract, right? Like, I think, I think we would be a lot better served if we did things like this. Uh, when we do a contract nowadays, we just sign paper, right? Those of you that have done, like, a mortgage or an auto loan uh, they They just keep throwing papers in front of you, sign here, sign here, sign here you 're like yep, 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 and if you 're a first time home buyer, you have no idea what 's happening oh yeah sure i 'm signing all this stuff and 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 then we 're surprised that you know we don 't take contracts very seriously, so for um weddings like there's a there 's a document called a marriage license, and in illinois uh all you have to do is have two witnesses sign it. When the couple applies for it, they, they put their name down on paper. That's part of the contract. But then you're doing the ceremony and you're trying to explain the vows and you're saying you're making covenant promises to each other. And you're trying to help them to understand that they're making these incredible future promises. So in sickness and in health, I'm with you. and, and for, for good or ill, I'm with you. Uh, no matter what, I'm with you. And you're making all these different promises. And then, and then you, you kind of get to the end of the night. And, you know, I used to do this. I'd go, okay, guys, we're going to sign the marriage license. And I'd go, let's get the photographer and let's get the bride and groom and let's get, let's get their, you know, maid of honor and the best man. And we all get together. And, th- and then I'm like, okay, you sign here, right here. I go, okay, they sign it. Okay, now you sign here and they sign it. And then everyone goes, huh, okay, that's done. Back to the party. And there's just kind of like a flippancy to it. And, you know, nobody really, it's anticlimactic, you know, you you kind of build this moment up, and then people sign their name, and they're like, what's the big deal? And so I've just kind of stopped, uh, not stopped signing it, because obviously that would... (laughs) not be good, but I stopped making a big deal out of it. And I tried to put more weight and more emphasis into the the moments of the service where they're making those vows. Because I realized that most people, when they're stepping into a a, a covenant like that, and they're signing their name on it, it, it doesn't really mean anything to them. But here, God is making a covenant, and he's doing this significant, symbolic thing where he's saying, I'm not just putting my name by it. I'm walking the way of the covenant. I'm ensuring, I'm, I'm trying to tell you that you can trust me, that you can believe that this promise is going to come true, that I, God, am going to uphold my end of the bargain. And so he cuts a covenant. Look at verses 17 and 18. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This is kind of bizarre, but it's it's imagery and it's imagery that's used to describe the presence of God. Later on in the Bible, it'll talk about how God led his people with fire and smoke, a cloud. And it becomes this kind of physical imagery of God's presence. And so Abram's there and God's cutting a covenant and he sees smoke And fire passed through that that covenant trail. And it's this imagery of God making this covenant. It's made very plain in verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, where was Abram when all of this was happening? He's incapacitated. He's laying there. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. He was there, but he was laying there. He was there, but he wasn't physically able to get up and walk that path. He was there, but he he was experiencing something of the presence of God. I don't know if you've read this book. It's one of my favorite stories ever. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It's a story. It's an allegory about a man named Christian. He's a Christian, and he's on his way to the city of God and all the different experiences that he goes through and the people that he encounters, uh, it's really describing the journey of faith. And when he gets close to the heavenly city, do you guys, if you've read it, do you remember what happened to him? He falls down ill because he's getting proximate to God and he's not ready for it. He gets close to the city and there's something about the weight and the gravity of God that he's not even able to keep going. And he has to actually lay there for a bit. I think that's what's happening with Abram here. He's in the presence of God now. And a deep and dark dreadness comes o- dreadfulness comes over him. That he's there, but he's experiencing the glory of God. And he's now watching as God is fulfilling his end of the bargain. God is saying, look, you can know for sure that this promise is coming true because I will see it through to the end. So Abram gets to experience the promise of God, and the things that God has said over and over again, now is, God is now enacting, and he's saying, look, I am committed to this promise. You can believe in this promise, because I will see it through. And so the third thing we find then is this firm future. Remember, the main question that we're asking is, what am, I do, what am I supposed to do about the delay of God fulfilling his promise? See, we like the promise. We like the things that God is declaring to be true. We believe that God can do it. We look at his power and his might and his resolve, and we say, yeah, that's no problem. But the problem that we have is, when is that going to happen? When do I get the, you know, the good parts of the promise coming true in my life? And so many of us can kind of evaluate and go, okay, I believe God is good, I believe he's capable, I believe he works all things together for good, Romans chapter 8, but what's the holdup? What's the problem, God? Why, Why isn't that coming true more quickly? Why aren't all things good right now in this moment? The problem most of us have is with the timing of God, and God explains something, and honestly, we won't like this. I'm just going to set it up that way. You won't like how God responds. He basically says, I'm working on a different timeline. Let's look at it. Verses 13 to 16. This is what God says. He says, "'Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves.'" And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here into the promised land for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. There's a lot there, but let me try to simplify it a bit. Here's what God is saying. I rule human history. Everything is under my direction and guidance. And the promise is coming. You can know for sure that the promise is coming true. In fact, let me tell you a little bit of history. I'll, I'll forth tell you. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do in the future. Your descendant, you're going to have a child, and that child is going to have children, and it'll become you know, Israel, and Israel will have 12 sons, and they'll end up in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. God's telling him all of that before he even has a child. They're going to be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish that nation for the sins against my people. And then I'll rescue my people out of there and they'll come out wealthy. I'll make them favorably disposed to your people, to your descendants. The, the, The Israelites will be able to plunder the Egyptians and they'll come out as a nation with great wealth and resources. And then you, unfortunately, you're going to die. You'll be buried at a good old age, but you're not gonna see any of this stuff come true. But then the fourth generation of your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached full measure. He's basically saying, I rule human history. I deal with the nations and I deal equitably. I know what's going on. I'm going to punish them, but I'm I'm not easily provoked. I'm not easily provoked. I'm patient. I can wait 400 years. I can wait four generations. But eventually, I'm going to bring the people here and they're going to land in the promised land. This is, this is actually a little bit upsetting to us because we love thing, we love instant gratification. Promises of God, yes, please. When do I want them? Right now. I want things to come true right now. I want things my way. But God says to Abram, some of the best things in your life, they're four generations away. Some of the best things, the, the biggest legacy that you're going to have and the The most incredible blessings, they're like four generations away right now. Can you you handle that? Can you look at your life and say, maybe the best things that I will do, the the most lasting legacy that I'll have is actually four generations down the road. But I'm going to live right now in faithfulness. And I'm going to trust that God's promises are good and they are coming true, even if it isn't on my timeline. So Peter picks this up in 2 Peter 2 and he puts it like this. He says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's delay is not a problem for him. It is not slow in the way that some understand slowness. He is keeping his promise, but it is on his timeline. We need to understand this. So Abram actually lives in that moment as a carrier of the promise, but he doesn't get to see it come true. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says. Abram is this great man of faith, and he believed in the promises of God, but he lived in a tent as a sojourner and a stranger in the promised land. Are we willing to entrust ourselves to God and then follow his timetable? And this is a really challenging thing because again, most of us want things our way immediately. And God is saying, I want you to be faithful like Abram. I want you to trust me like Abram. And I want you to believe that I'm going to do things on my timeline and you gotta be okay with that. That gets us right back to the very beginning of where we started. God comes to Abram and he says, Abram, I am your shield, I am your great reward. We have to get to a place where we can say, that's enough. That is enough. If God is my protector and if God is my reward, then I will endure whatever this life has to offer. I will be able to go through whatever circumstances, whatever troubles, And I will be able to entrust myself to God, the promise keeper, because he's my reward and he is faithful. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and that son died our death and lived a perfect life and gifts us his righteousness. So, Christians, we have everything that we need to endure this moment by faith. Jesus Christ is our savior. He is the fulfillment of the promise, and we can trust in God who raised Jesus from the dead. So let's do that. Let's pray right now. Lord, we admit right now the trouble that we have with timing. We're an impatient people. And we have a hard time imagining your promises not being direct and immediate. But Lord, as we're reminded over and over and over again in the scriptures, most of the blessings come true in the future. And there's a day coming when Jesus returns and makes all things new and makes that promise come absolutely true. So give us patience and faith in the meantime. Help us to live faithfully right now as sojourners and strangers in the land trusting in your goodness and in your ability and in your timing. Help us to be your faithful people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.